Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Friday, November 11th, 2022. It's been 3,180 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 261 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we assess Russia will conduct a fighting retreat from Kherson that will become increasingly chaotic and will be completed by November 30th. Second, we assess that when liberation west of the Dnipro is complete, Ukrainian officials will discover that Russian troops committed significant war crimes and atrocities. Third, we assess that neither belligerent will institute a winter pause and believe that significant offensive operations will continue unabated. Fourth, we maintain that President Putin's inner circle is actively targeting Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu for dismissal and replacement due to continued military failures in Ukraine. Fifth, we assess there is virtually no chance of Russian forces blowing up the Novokhovka Dam. Sixth, we maintain that the Russian Navy's presence in the Black Sea has become irrelevant, with missile carriers reluctant to patrol beyond the immediate coast of Sevastopol. Seventh, we maintain that terror attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure will continue across Ukraine, despite the significantly reduced number of attacks over the last week. Eighth, we assess that the Russian military within Ukraine is combat ineffective and is only capable of mounting effective defensive operations. Ninth, we maintain that the private military company Wagner Group is spread too thin due to its expanding role in the Donetsk Oblast and the revelation of crippling battlefield losses. Tenth, we maintain that Ukraine holds the battlefield initiative, forcing Russian troops to remain in a defensive posture. And finally, we maintain that Russian forces in Belarus remain a credible threat for an invasion of western Ukraine, but we now assess the possibility has pushed further out to the next 60 to 90 days. Let's get some regional updates, starting with the Kherson counteroffensive and Mykolaiv. Russian forces continued their retreat from the west bank of the Dnipro. The withdrawal started in an orderly manner, but panic set in across multiple Russian information channels during the overnight hours. Some Russian mill bloggers claimed that the retreat and evacuation of Russian troops and equipment were already completed. In contrast, other mill bloggers showed videos of long lines of civilian cars waiting to cross on ferries. In a contested environment where Ukraine holds fire control, it would be virtually impossible to move 20,000 troops and their equipment in 24 hours. 
especially with some as far as 40 kilometers from crossing points. There is a long list of liberated settlements northeast and northwest of Kherson, including Snikhorivka, Bruskinske, Kisalivka, Blahodatne, Borozenske, Pavlivka, Vasilivka, Yevgenivka, Bobrovikut, Stanislav, Oleksandrivka, Pravdine, Soldatske, Chukalov, Miroljabivka, Tamarine, Kucherske, Pjatihatki, Kachkarivka, Sablokivka, Milova, Novokayiri, Bezvodne, Sadok, Ishenko, and Staritsya. Critical on that list, the Russian strongholds of Snikhorivka, Pravdine, and Bruskinske were abandoned, signaling this isn't a Russian psychological operation. The list of settlements that Russia has withdrawn from is larger, with Ukrainian forces methodically advancing. As sunset approached, Ukrainian forces started shelling the Antonovsky Bridge and the Novokohovka crossings relentlessly. Russian telegram channels reported significant casualties, but those reports are unverified. Russian troops complained that Ukraine's drones operated unimpeded over the river crossings due to a lack of air defense, and the drones were directing artillery fire. Boats being used by Russian troops to cross the river were reported to be overloaded. Russian sources claimed that Ukrainian Special Operation Forces, or SOF, had crossed the Dnipro and were harassing Russian troops on the East Bank bridgeheads. This is almost certainly inaccurate and may have been friendly fire incidents caused by the breakdown of an organized retreat. The damaged Antonovsky Mist railroad bridge between Novokohovka and Kherson was destroyed. Russian social media channels claim that Russian troops destroyed the bridge to prevent a Ukrainian advance to the east bank of the Dnipro. The railroad bridge has been out of service since August, after multiple HIMARS strikes damaged it and Russian engineers made no attempts to repair the structure. Russian forces also appear to have blown up the badly damaged Antonovsky Bridge in Kherson, destroying a section of the deck and multiple bridge supports. Because of how the bridge is constructed, it will require a complete replacement. There were claims by some Russian troops that they had been given final orders to put on civilian clothes and to find their own way across the river. There was little evidence that Russian troops were moving significant amounts of heavy equipment during their retreat. Operational Command South reported only two airstrikes completed and approximately 50 fire missions, concentrated in the Bereslav Rayon. It is the lowest number of artillery strikes recorded since we started producing situation reports. Russian forces did engage in active combat as part of their retreat and worked to slow down the Ukrainian advance by mining roads, destroying power lines, and blowing up smaller bridges. Under the very best of circumstances, the Russian withdrawal will take at least a week, and it will become increasingly challenging as Ukrainian forces advance closer to the west bank of the Dnipro. In Olishki, on the east bank of the Dnipro, Russian troop concentrations were targeted by rockets fired by HIMARS. Our assessment that Russian troops would use MOBIX to hold the outer defensive lines and keep Ukrainian artillery units away from the river was inaccurate. It appears Russia is conducting a full withdrawal along the entire line of conflict. Of course, some units have to stay behind until the last moment to protect the Russian bridgeheads on the west bank. All right, assessment time here. This is the fourth humiliating defeat Russian forces have suffered since the wide-scale invasion of Ukraine on February 24th. 
The first was the failure to capture Kiev, Cherniev, Kharkiv, or Sumy, and the retreat from northern Ukraine in late March of 2022. The second was Ukraine sweeping through the eastern part of Kharkiv in a week, routing Russian forces while capturing enough military equipment to supply up three brigades. The third was the fall of Liman and Ukrainian troops taking back most regions of the Donetsk Oblast that Russian forces captured after February 24th, leaving only the Svitlodarsk region and the suburbs of Solidar and Bakhmut under Russian control. Kherson was the only regional capital Russia captured intact, and the forced withdrawal from the west side of the Dnipro has ended all threats of ground-based attacks on Odessa, Lviv, Dnipro, Zaporizhia, and Kriviri. At its peak, Russia controlled up to 42% of Ukrainian territory. Once the withdrawal from the west bank of the Dnipro is complete, that will have dwindled to around 14.5%. And that includes territory already held before February 24th, such as the DNR, LNR, and Russian-occupied Crimea. During this period, the Russian military has gotten weaker on land, sea, and air, while Ukrainian forces have become better equipped and better trained. Further, Russian forces willingly retreat from territory they claim is now officially part of Russia through an illegal annexation declaration, with no viable way of restoring the territory. This is a catastrophe among a long list of Russian military failures since Ukraine took the battlefield initiative in mid-August. The three cities still under Russian control after the February 24th invasion are Melitopol, Mariupol, and the twin cities of Severodonetsk, Lysychansk. A Russian missile of an unknown type struck a five-story apartment building in Mykolaiv overnight, killing six people. Pictures from the scene indicated the building had completely collapsed where it was hit, suggesting this was a cruise missile or Iskander-M short-range ballistic missile strike. Let's move on to Dnipropetrovsk and Zaporizhia. The situation at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant remains unchanged, and the International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, has not provided an update since November 5th. There is also no update on the status of the kidnapped Enerhoadam employee in Russian custody. Russian troops renewed their attacks on Nikopol and Markhanets, firing up to 50 Grad rockets from multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS. There were no injuries, and the attack damaged a single home and part of a college in Nikopol. In Russian-occupied Melitopol, Andriy Boyko, the so-called Deputy Minister of Culture, Sports and Tourism of Zaporizhia Oblast, was injured when an IED exploded outside the entrance of his apartment. Russian authorities expect Boyko, who is hospitalized, to make a full recovery. Quick sidebar here. I feel like being responsible for tourism in Russian-occupied Zaporizhia is not exactly a dream job. There was only sporadic artillery fire from the Zaporizhia-Donetsk administrative border to Huliapola to Urikhiv to Stepova. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. Now to the Donbass region, starting with southwest Donetsk. 
Mercenaries with Wargonzo released pictures of the Russian flag raised in Pavlivka and claimed the settlement had been captured. Geolocation showed the picture was taken in the southeast corner of the town, where elements of the 155th and 40th Naval Infantry had advanced multiple times. The 155th is significantly under strength, and after unit members claimed they had suffered massive casualties, in our assessment, this appears to be a so-called picture report demanded from the Kremlin to prove victory. Russian sources claimed the 1st Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, maintained its military traditions with another attack on Novomikhailivka that did not succeed. 2023 Lada sales will be off the charts. I mean, that's assuming that the Russian Ministry of Defense ever decides to pay those promised survivor benefits. Positional fighting restarted in the eastern part of Marinka, with no change to the line of conflict. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported positional fighting near Nevelske and Russian forces trying to push into Pervomaiske and Opitne. They also reported that Ukrainian troops successfully repelled an attack on Vesele, where the international airport is located. This contradicts recent reports with video proof that the DNR captured the area. Now, the GSAFU does not have a significant history of making false claims, but there is a lack of picture or video evidence that areas near the airport were recaptured. There were continued attempts to advance on the critical Ukrainian stronghold at Krasnohorivka, but the DNR could not break through Ukrainian defenses. The DNR People's Militia Public Relations Channel did not release a statement on Ukrainian artillery strikes, nor did they make any claims of destroying Ukrainian military equipment. I guess they were tired today. Ukrainian officials reported only light shelling by the DNR in the southwestern part of the Donetsk Oblast. In northeast Donetsk, heavy fighting continues east of Solidar and southeast of Bakhmut, with no significant changes in the situation. South of Bakhmut, Ukrainian forces repelled an attack on the hamlet of Andreevka, which had a pre-war population of 74 people. Because things are not confusing enough on their own, there are three Andreevkas in the Donetsk Oblast. The second one is located in the self-declared and illegally annexed Donetsk People's Republic, and the third is a suburb of Slovyansk. Private military company, or PMC Wagner Group, was unable to advance into Yakovlivka and broke off their attacks today, at least temporarily. They briefly crossed the T-1302 highway, but were pushed back on November 9th. PMC Wagner also broke off their attempts to advance into Bilohorivka and Vesele on the Donetsk-Luhansk administrative border west of Popazna. Moving on to Luhansk, Russian forces attempted to slow the Ukrainian advance at Novoselivske and Myasozharivka, launching offensives on both villages without success. Ukraine continues to maintain fire control over Svatov, striking multiple convoys and troop concentrations within the town. Russian Mobix, supported by the 2nd Army Corps of the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, attempted an advance on Makivka. They only succeeded in boosting Russian new car sales among surviving family members. And by that, I mean they are deceased. Finally, Russian forces supported by PMC Wagner continued their relentless attacks on Bilohorivka and continued to be unsuccessful. In news that shouldn't shock any of our listeners or readers, there was a reported HIMARS strike on Lysychansk, 
just days after the Chechen TikTok brigade made another Look at us in Lysychansk video. We are not saying the Chechens were the target, but after a consistent pattern of make a video, get blown up, make a video, get blown up, make a video, get blown up, well, you get the idea. In the Cherniv and Sumy region, Dmitro Zhivitsky, Sumy Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that Romada of Khotin was shelled by up to 50 mortars. Russian troops must have had their mind on the Kherson withdrawal because they didn't cause any damage and there were no injuries. In the Black Sea, Crimea, and Odessa region, two missile carrier ships left the port of Sevastopol for the first time since the unmanned surface vessel or USF attack on the Russian Black Sea fleet. The vessels are capable of carrying eight caliber cruise missiles each. The Ukrainian government expressed concern that a new wave of missile attacks may be imminent as, quote, punishment for the Kherson withdrawal. In western and central Ukraine, Sergei Borsov, Vinitsya Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that critical civilian infrastructure was attacked overnight and severely damaged. There weren't any reports of injuries or immediate reports of new blackouts. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Poland provided Ukraine with 1,570 new Starlink terminals to be deployed into cities and towns in case of a total blackout so critical communication systems can be maintained. Additionally, some of the terminals will be used in recently liberated settlements in Kherson, where Russian forces blew up and stole cell towers and cut fiber-optic cables supporting internet service. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's report, but if you are sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. Amnesty International released a report calling Russia's forced deportation of civilians a war crime and a crime against humanity. The 40-page report details how Russian and Russian-controlled forces forcibly transferred civilians from occupied Ukraine further into Russian-controlled areas, or into Russia. Children have been separated from their families during the process, violating international humanitarian law. Civilians told Amnesty how they were forced through abusive screening processes, known as filtration, which sometimes resulted in arbitrary detention, torture, and other ill-treatment. Agnès Calamar, Amnesty International's secretary-general, said, quote, Separating children from their families and forcing people hundreds of kilometers from their homes are further proof of the severe suffering Russia's invasion has inflicted on Ukraine's civilians. Since the start of their war of aggression against Ukraine, itself an international crime, Russian forces have indiscriminately attacked and unlawfully killed civilians, destroyed countless lives, and torn families apart. No one has been spared, not even children. Russia's deplorable tactic of forcible transfer and deportation is a war crime. Amnesty believes this must be investigated as a crime against humanity. All those forcibly transferred and still unlawfully detained must be allowed to leave, and everyone responsible for committing these crimes must be held accountable. Children in Russian custody must be reunited with their families, and their return to Ukrainian government-controlled areas must be facilitated. 
end quote. In geopolitical news, Indonesian government officials confirmed that Russian President Vladimir Putin would not be attending the G20, avoiding a possible confrontation over his floundering invasion of Ukraine. Sorry, I mean, special military operation where everything is for sure going to plan. Lohut Binsar Panjaitan, the chief of support for G20 events, said Putin's decision not to come was, quote, the best for all of us, end quote. Ouch. Mr. Panjaitan, that was brutal. There was still no indication of whether Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky would virtually attend the summit in Bali. In economic news, the ruble improved with an exchange rate of 60 for one U.S. dollar. Oil prices became volatile after a sharp drop, with WTI crude rising to $89 a barrel and Brent jumping to $96. United States wholesale RBOB gasoline on the spot market increased to $2.62 per gallon, or $0.69 cents a liter. Dutch TTF gas futures for December 2022 plummeted, trading at €104 Euros per megawatt hour. January 2023 contracts also declined sharply, reaching €112. Euros. Chicago SRW wheat futures were steady, trading at $8.30 a bushel for March 2022 contracts. We have some breaking news today. Videos are now circulating on social media of Ukrainian forces in the city of Kherson, including a video showing a soldier and a civilian working together to raise the Ukrainian flag over the police station. Natalia Khumenyuk, press secretary for Operational Command South, urged residents not to return to liberated areas of the Kherson region yet, saying that those settlements are, quote, now under constant attack, and the situation there is worsening. Infrastructure and communications are being damaged. We do not recommend going back there. Winter is coming, and it is likely that it will be impossible to repair communications and provide services to the population, end quote. Ukarposhta, the Ukrainian National Postal Service, has already pre-released a stamp dedicated to Kherson, featuring illustrations of a citizen holding a sign that reads Kherson is Ukraine and slices of watermelon. Ihor Smilyansky, the CEO of Ukraposhta, posted the image on social media and wrote, quote, Even though the liberation of Kherson has not been officially announced, sometimes stamps are released a few days before the event. This is because Ukraposhta knows for sure that our troops are the best, and liberation is only the question of time. End quote. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.